I want us to go through a couple of scriptures, quite a few, and then we're going to talk a little bit, and then we're going to go through a couple more scriptures. And so bear with me, um, because it is quite a few scriptures. And we'll probably go through the first set quite quickly, but that's why we're here, to hear the word, right? Not to hear the opinion of man. And so the first one is in this, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, you can just follow me if you want. It says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Say it again, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then we go to Job, right? Who ever preaches from Job? Job 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thought. I really can. I know that you can do all things. We go along to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32. Verse 17, it says this. Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And it says, nothing is too hard for you. Verse 27, the Lord responds, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Let's go to the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Luke chapter 1, verse 37 says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And then our last one, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Here we see it again. But Jesus looked at, and said, looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so what I want is to see that there's a, a current theme throughout the Bible from old to new, from Genesis, even through to Revelation, that God is a God of the impossible. That there is nothing too hard for Him. In Psalm 77 verse 14, it says, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. I read again, you are the God who performs miracles. And so, Miracles didn't die off with the last apostles. We don't believe what they would call cessationism. We believe that today God was the God of miracles in the Old Testament. He was the God of miracles in the New Testament. And He's still the God of miracles today. And that word miracle is quite interesting when you do some research on it. In the New Testament, the word miracle comes from the Greek word dunamis. You may have heard that before. And what it means is it's deeds showing power, but it also means it's, it's an unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature. I read again, it's an unusual occurrence transcending the common course of nature. In other words, it's not bound, a miracle isn't bound by natural laws. It's not bound by natural logic. It's not bound by mathematical or scientific formulas and research. 
He's, it's what we call supernatural. In other words, super being above and beyond the natural. That's what supernatural is. It's greater than the natural. But if you look at the, that word miracle in the Old Testament, it's the word pala, P-A-L-A, I think that's how you say it. And the way they, way, the way they describe it is this, it's, an, it's extraordinary, it's wonderful, it's to be beyond one's power. But then I love this, it's hard to understand. And so a miracle in the Old Testament is something that is described as hard to understand. And so why is this so important? Well, we're thinking of more in 2024, right? And so the world's logic is this. If I can't understand it, then it can't be true. And so that's the reasoning that the world works by. And so I don't know if you guys have even, there's even books, people have written books to discount the miracles of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've heard this one, Jesus, when he was walking on the water, some guy said this, he knew where there were rocks on the special places in the ocean. And so they seriously said this, I'm not making this up. He knew where there were rocks in the ocean and he walked on those rocks and that's why he never sank. Human logic trying to apply to a supernatural, trying to bring it down to human understanding trying to bring it down to human reason. Another one I heard was, remember Peter comes to Jesus, Jesus, we need to pay taxes. Jesus says, well, go to the fish or go fishing. The first fish you pull out, you'll find a coin in his mouth. Some guy, I forget where I said, heard it or read it. He said, yeah, I know that's a common occurrence. Um, <laughs> seriously. Uh, fish are attracted to shiny things and so... He probably picked it up on the bottom of the ocean and was carrying it around, but there were probably a lot of fish that had coins in their mouths. Huh? Oh, <laughs> Fishing in the wrong ocean. <laughs> and so we, we approach 24, thinking of more, right? Factored into the more is the miraculous power of God. Has to be. Factored into the more has to be the supernatural. That's how, that's how Ephesians 3.20 works. Ephesians 3.20 is supernatural. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think or imagine. Quite interestingly, that word able is the same word dunamis. And so he introduces himself and says, I have power. Before he even tells you what he can do, he tells you that he has power to do it. He says, I am able, he is able, he has power to perform what I'm about to say. Not, not human power, not the world's power, not the world's logic, not the world's reasoning. Remember, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God, says the Lord. And so he is power, there is supernatural power available to us, through us and in us by the Spirit of Christ for miraculous power of God to do the exceedingly abundantly above, to do the supernatural in our lives. And so when we approach 2024, when we approach the thinking of more, like I said, we have to factor this in. You can't, if, if you approach 2024, you're thinking of more, you approach the Scriptures, Ephesians 3.20, you approach that in your own logic. 
If you approach that in your own reasoning, you will actually begin to limit God. And you say, if, yes, Ephesians 3, you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Okay, let me just be realistic here. Um, okay, yeah, that's possible. I think you could do that. That's possible. And we never step out and say, Father, what are you saying? And like we hear this thing that he says, and like, whoa, you know, that's a bit too much for me. Or that can't be the Lord, get behind me, Satan, because you know, that's unachievable for me. But that's what it's about. That's, that's what he's looking for. You know, he's not looking for us to figure it out. He's not looking for us to, to reason and, and to say, well, I can strategize and if I do this and if I save this and I can do that. He's not looking for that. All he's looking for us is to believe. He's looking for faith and he's looking for obedience to follow that. And so this, this, this factor, for lack of a better word, that He is the God of the impossible, that He is the God of miracles. Bring that in to your 2024. Bring that in to your more. Bring that in to your, we were talking about thinking of more, right? Bring that in to your thinking. I don't know when was the last time you saw a miracle, but He is still the God of miracles. Josh and I were, before we came out of the green room, we were talking about miracles talking about supernatural healings. He was talking about how he was at Addington and there was a guy who was just like a hectic, and I'm selling all his testimonies. He's got none for pillars of truth now. <laughs> That's what he does, he tells stories. Um, so he, he was saying like how he, was, he went to Addington there was this guy sitting by the window, open window, no shirt, and everyone's like fanning him because his fever was just like skyrocketing through the roof and they couldn't bring his fever down. They had all these thermometers in his mouth. And so Joshua walks up to the guy and he's, like, he's reminded of this, this, the story of Jesus, of Peter's mother-in-law. And says, and Jesus rebuked the fever and the fever went. So Joshua's like, this is what you're telling me. So he went and he says, fever, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And then the guy still had a fever, but he walked away, trusting God to do what he went. They went to another room. One of the family members came running after him. And they said, Joshua, 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 the fever's gone. Medicine couldn't bring it down. Doctors couldn't bring it down. But the miraculous dunamis power of working father brought it down. How? Like, I don't know. It's hard to understand. And you don't have to understand. You just have to believe. And so we can start out I walk with the Lord. We can start out this year in 2024, you know, trusting God for the miraculous. And we, we see things. We see the healings. We see the testimonies of provision. We see the testimonies of His faithfulness. But it's very easy to forget what He has done. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? You needed a breakthrough from God. There was a financial miracle or a healing miracle and He came through just like absolutely amazing. He showed His strong hand and then a couple of months later, you were back in the same predicament, yet anxious and stressing, not realising that what He did before, He can do again until He does it again. And you're like, oh yes, that's right. You do it all the time. You know, and so when we're in the moment, we forget that He's a God of miracles. And so what I want us to, 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 to just like, almost like ingrain in our minds this evening is that He is the God of miracles. The Bible says He was, He is, 
and he will be. His nature is unchanging. He's the God of miracles then. He's the God of miracles now. He's the God of the impossible then. And he's the God of the impossible now. And so what we're gonna do is just very simply is I'm gonna read stories. Well, not even stories, that's the wrong word. Read testimonies of the miracles of God throughout Scripture to stir your faith and to remind you that nothing is impossible for him. And for me, these, there's like, I mean, we could just be literally be here the whole night reading miracles from the Bible, but we can't do that. So there's a few that I've selected and the ones I've selected for me, they don't make sense. They don't comprehend. And the reason why we, we're choosing those ones is because maybe you're sitting here tonight, maybe you're trusting God for big things and you can't figure it out. Again, I wanna to say to you, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to understand. He just does it because that's who he is. And so the first one that we're gonna read is in Exodus chapter 14. We know this one really well. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 to 29. And it says this, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Okay, and as we read this, don't approach this with your children's church story mindset. Because that's where we put it. We stick it up as a poster, as a story. It's not a fable, it's not a fairy tale. This is a testimony, it's an actual thing that really happened. This is a historical account of something that happened. Right. So it's not as, don't approach it with your children's church mentality. Not that there's wrong with anything wrong with children's church. Do you know what I'm saying? Tammy's gonna come here, Tammy and Tina, you know. <laughs> Double T means. <laughs> so it says this, verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And here we go, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on to their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, and in the morning, and in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw them, threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Israel Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back over the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Verse 27, 
So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into, the, into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And so, so often we read, like we read that story and like, okay, that's cool. And then we read on. But if you just actually think about this, this is supernatural. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this. A sea got divided. There was a wall. It doesn't, it doesn't, that's what it says. There was a wall on this side and there was a wall on this side. And it says they walked through the sea on dry ground. How can you explain that? You can't. How, how do we comprehend that, you know, anything that he does, we can't, but he's the God of miracles. And so he works beyond human reasoning. He works beyond our human logic. Hallelujah. The next thing I want us to look at is in Joshua. Similar one, Joshua chapter three, verse 11. And it says this, Behold the ark of the Lord, Oh, sorry, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribe of Israel, from each tribe a man. And it says this, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. It says this, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, listen to this, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water. And they add emphasis there. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. In other words, it was flooding. And it says this, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Again, these priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, God says, put your, let the priests put their feet in the river that's overflowing, that's flooding. They put their feet in the river and the water stops from a point further up above and no water comes down anymore. They build their little stone thing they walk through, the priests get out of the river. As soon as they take their feet out of the river, the river begins to flow again. He's the God of the impossible. Joshua chapter 10, verse 12 to 14, says this. So Joshua and Israel, they're in a war. And it says, at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. It says, is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of the man for the Lord fought for Israel. God stopped like he stopped the, the mechanism, the motions of the universe and the solar system and all these planets. The sun stopped in the sky where it was for 24 hours. And when Israel had finished the battle, he said, okay, son, now you can carry on. 
and then it went and then it set. But he stopped, he, he is fully in control over all creation, whether it's rivers or, or suns or seas or sands. You know, all these things bow to the Creator. And so even the sun obeys Him. He can stop the sun for Joshua, He can stop the sun for you. And that's like, uh, <laughs> me? Yes, you. All right, more miracles. Two, let's go to two kings. So in two kings, chapter four, verse one to seven, it says this. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And listen to this. And as she poured, they bought, and as she poured, they bought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. And then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell, all, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. And so what's happened here? She's got one jar of oil. It doesn't say how many jars of oil she borrowed, but the prophet said not too few. So otherwise she got quite a lot of other jars. And she takes one jar of oil and she fills, let's just say 50 other jars. She fills 50 jars with one jar. And when those jars are full, that's when the oil stops flowing out of the one jar that she has. It's like, like I said, it's like you can take out your calculator, like okay, the law of averages minus the Newtons, whatever, you know, and you can't figure it out. You can't compute it. You can't comprehend it. It's beyond logic. He's the God of the impossible. He is the God of miracles. You can take one pot of oil and make it into 50 pots of oil. It's just like hard. Like, like I really want us to like think about these things. Because like I said, we read them, but we don't like really absorb what's actually happening in this moment. It's like, it's like a magic trick. You, know, you look at the bottom of the jar. It's like, is there a hose pipe coming in? That's, it's like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, he does it. It's absolutely incredible. Another one with Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. See, the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us there get there a log. And let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go with you. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling along a log, his axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God, then the man of God said, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, and listen to what he did. <laughs> 
the guy's like busy chopping wood, the head of his axe falls into the water, sinks to the bottom. So what does Elisha do? He cuts off a stick and throws it into the place where the axe head fell and the iron floats to the top of the water. Like, does that not defy the laws of gravity and the law, whatever law, I don't know, law that is, the laws of weight or something, you know? He throws in a stick. And this axe head, which sank to the bottom, what's the density, I think it is, I don't know. Anyway, floats. It's like, what the heck? Let's go to the New Testament. I'm not even going to read the miracles of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Acts chapter 5, verse 12 to 16. Try to explain this one to me. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they carried, listen to this, so that the, even they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. The people gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Like, there's my shadow, right? I walk past you, and you're sick, and my shadow touches you, and you get healed. My shadow touches you, and the demons come out. There's no, there's no substance in my shadow. It's like, I don't know. God of miracles. Acts chapter 8. Verse 35 to 14. Oh, this is a cool one. So this is a story of Philip. He's encountered what they call an Ethiopian eunuch. God told him to go to a certain road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And so he meets this guy in a chariot. And this guy's busy reading the book of Isaiah. Philip starts, stops, um, begins to tell him what he's reading about, explains the book of Isaiah, baptizes him, and then this happens. In verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Listen to this. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Did some research. This town of Azotus to where he met this Ethiopian eunuch is 50 kilometers. It's basically, it's the same from Durban to Belito. And so he's baptizing this guy and he gets translated. He, get, he just disappears. It's like, 
Next moment he's like, Voot! and next moment he's like, Voot! he's like, what the heck? He, he was here and now he's there. He didn't take a plane, he didn't take a bus, he never walked, he never took a donkey. He just was and then he was there. It's like, again, defies all logic. Defies all the logic and the, the nature of matter and all these things. And then the last one is Acts chapter 20, verse 7 to 12. Are you guys enjoying these testimonies? Yes. This is a funny one. It says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and the young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Listen to this. It's midnight, and Paul's busy like preaching, this guy. Anyway, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while still until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not, and were not a little comforted. <laughs> so, so old school. You know, in other words, they were happy that the young man was... But it's like, <clears throat> Paul's just, I love Paul. He's preaching till midnight. Some guy falls out the window and dies, raises him back to life and carries on preaching till the, till the sun comes up. But anyway, this guy falls out of a third story window, dies, but that's nothing for God. That's nothing for the God of miracles. The, Paul that doesn't say, and Paul prayed in tongues and, you know, shakarandarabasi and get up, you know. It's like Paul bent over and picked him up and he was alive. And they took him away well. And so my question to you tonight is, regarding the more in 2024, what has God spoken to you that seems too big, too unachievable or too impossible to come to pass? I read it again. Regarding the more in 2024, what has God spoken to you in the light of what we've read, right? Hold these testimonies up against what God has spoken in your life and ask yourself this question. Is anything that he's asking me to do, is it too big? Is it too unachievable or is it too impossible to come to pass? And when you hold it up against the testimonies of his miracles, your answer will always be, no, it's not. Your answer will always be, all things are possible for him. And so that's why I say we need to remember the testimonies of his miracles. And so even sitting here tonight, you might be facing a situation. You might be trying to get around a mountain, trying to get around a giant. Equally so, take these testimonies of his miracle working power. Put them up against your mountain. Compare them like this. Compare them next to your giant. And tell me, is God not able tonight to provide for you? Is he not able tonight to heal you? Is he not able tonight to restore what was stolen from you? 
The answer is yes, he is. Because he's the God of miracles. He's the God of the impossible. Not just, not just what we've read. He's not just the God of the miracles in the old. He's not just the God of miracles in the New Testament. He's the God of miracles today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, again, as we close, I encourage you, just thinking of more, right? Embed that in your thinking. Make that a part of that thinking process that He is a God of the supernatural and that He is able, that's what Ephesians 3.20, I'll say it again. That's what it is, it's supernatural. He's able, He has the power and He has the ability to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that you ask or think or imagine, no, regardless of the situation, whether it's a, an ocean that He needs to part, a river that He needs to stop, a, a piece of iron that needs to float in water, a jar that needs to be poured out, a body that needs to be raised from the dead, a shadow that needs to walk over you, whatever it is, He is able. He is the God of miracles. He is the God of the impossible.